All right, guys, let's, we're going to come to the most important part of the church service is the expository teaching of Scripture. Please understand, without the resurrection, there really is nothing. There's no gospel without the resurrection, church. So let me share some thoughts with you, and then we're going to dig in. As we all know by now, for most of our world, the term Easter brings forth all kinds of things like candy, little fuzzy Easter bunnies, nights out partying, thoughts of spring. I don't think that's what the Lord had in mind on Resurrection Sunday. In most stores today, you're really not going to find pictures of our Lord and Savior on the cross, not even in most of the card sections today. But there's plenty of sweet Easter eggs and chocolates no pictures of the empty tomb. So church, as we look at this resurrection narrative this morning, I think it's important to again stress the importance of the Old Testament in that it is just as important as the New Testament. You really can't have one without the other. And please understand, it's all God's word. Why do I say this? Well, the death of Christ was foretold in the Old Testament. <clears throat> the death of Christ was unique, church. Why? It was really part of God's plan. In fact, it was part of God's plan that was instituted long before the world was created. Jesus would die this sacrificial death as a payment for our sin. In fact, His death on that brutal cross was actually the form of capital punishment back in that day, actually reveals the horror of our sin because it's our sins that put Christ on that cross and then into the tomb. We don't want to think about that when we see the Easter bunny and all that, but in fact, that's a fact. In the Old Testament, we see this sacrificial system this type and shadow of Christ. Put up slide one. In John 1, 29, what does the Bible say? The next day, that's John, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away or carries away the sin of the world. Listen, church from eternity past, Christ was designated as this perfect spotless lamb, this sacrifice whose death would be the only death that would atone for our sin. Consider long before the New Testament what Job said, long before Christ came to earth, slide two. What did Job say? You should highlight this and underline this in your personal Bibles. Job says in Job 19, 25 and 26, As for me, I know I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take a stand on earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Can we say that, church? Do we also believe what Job believed? If you think you have it so bad, consider what Job was experiencing going through when he penned this. See, Job didn't make that statement when things were going great. 
All the cattle in the field, things are good, plenty of food. You got to understand, when he said this, understand that Job had lost everything, all of his possessions, all of his kids were killed. Then finally his health goes. His so-called friends who came to comfort him end up playing the role of accuser. Friends can do that sometimes, can't they? But consider the very important word Job used in Job 19. He used the word redeemer. The Hebrew word is the word goel. Why is that important? <clears throat> Why did Job say, I know that my goel, my redeemer, lives? Well, the word actually has the idea of fulfilling the duties of a relationship. You see, the main idea of a goel seems to be that of buying something back. <clears throat> you got to understand, back in those days, if a brother was taken captive or maybe sold into bondage, it was the responsibility of his other brother to pay off his debt and secure his release. You can start to get the idea of what's going through Job's mind when he talks about the Redeemer Church. You see... Jesus is our Goel. He's our kinsman redeemer, redeemer church. You see, Jesus had the right to vindicate those whom the Father gave to him. The text says that Job knows. The idea here is that his conviction and his belief in the Goel and the kinsman redeemer, it was firm and decisive, wasn't wavering. See, Job believed that his kinsman redeemer would come to his defense. You have to understand, church, a goel is a person who was a relative who would perform the duty of a redeemer. If a person lost his inheritance, his lands, his fields, his stock, it was the responsibility of the goel, who was the next of kin, to buy that inheritance back, buy back the land, and restore it to the relative. You see, Job had faith in the Lord. He had his confidence in this kinsman redeemer who was God. He says, he's the kinsman redeemer who lives. As for me, I know that my redeemer lives. He's going to take his last stand on earth. Even after my flesh, my skin is destroyed. Yet from my flesh, I shall see God. You see, our living redeemer that bought us back with a price is Christ. Jesus brought us with a price. He's the one that paid that ransom for us. In fact, in Isaiah 53, we get a very vivid detail of how Christ would suffer and die. Look at slide three with me. This is like three through six. We, I want to look at this before we go into the resurrection narrative. Look at what was written some, what, six, seven hundred years before? Isaiah writes this. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of a parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. Remember, he's talking about Jesus here, church. Nor his appearance that we should be attracted to him. He wasn't a runway model, church. He was despised deserted or forsaken of men. This Yahweh was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. 
and like one from whom men hide their face, this Yahweh was despised. We did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore. Our sorrows he carried. Side five. Yet we ourselves esteemed, we considered him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Look at verse 5, church. Yahweh was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed, leering, bearing on himself of our maladies, spiritual, physical, which included as the consequences, our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. You getting it? All of us. Not some of us, not a couple of us. All of us, church. Like sheep, we've gone astray. How often do we stray from our shepherd? Each of us have turned to our own way. We want our own way, don't we, church? But Yahweh has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Slide six. By oppression and judgment, let me say that again, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, <clears throat> who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. He had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased. Look at verse 10. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. There's the gospel right there. Boom! The Father was pleased to crush Christ, putting him to gift, to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. There's the gospel. There's Romans 3. He will bear their iniquities. You could put, he will bear your iniquities, church. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for you and I, the transgressors, church. There's your gospel right there. Boom. Look at slide eight. <clears throat> Where do we see this fulfilled in the New Testament? How about John 19, 1 through 3? Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. By the way, if you know what scourging is, church, it's a flagellum. It's a whip that has lead balls on it and claws. And when the centurion would swing it onto the back and pull it, it would tear the flesh apart. Most 
doctors and forensic guys said that his spine was actually exposed. Think about that, just having that beaten. Not once or twice, 39 times, Pilate scourged him. And if that wasn't enough, verse 2, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were slapping him in the face. Our Savior. What would we be doing if we were there that day? Slide 9. You're moving down to verse 17 and 18. Then Jesus, therefore, they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. And there, and if your friends say, well, where does it tell, they ask you, where does it say that Jesus was crucified? You can say, let's go to John 19, 17 and 18, verse 18. There they crucified him, and with two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Jesus, church, is the one and only mediator between God and man. First, slide 10, 1 Timothy 2, 5 tells us that. It says, there is one God, one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You see, God, church, hear me this morning. God rescues us from the condition whereby our minds have been darkened so that we do not know the truth. But God, the Holy Spirit, brings you and I to know the truth which is found in a person whose name is Jesus Christ. And as we go into Matthew, I want us to think for a moment about our first thoughts about God and our need for salvation. Do you realize you need to be saved? Think about it. What were the circumstances that the Lord used in your life? What pains, what sorrows, what crushing did He use to cause you to become more serious about Him? Look at the resurrection narrative, slide 11. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to look at the first four verses. So Friday, he's executed. Most theologians say around 3 o'clock. They wanted to prepare him before the sun went down. Here we are, Sunday morning, still dark out. He says, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, towards the first day of the week. By the way, they didn't have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They had Sundays, the first day, then the second day after Sunday, and so forth. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone, and he sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. Don't think, don't believe the lie that this is it. Don't believe the lie that when you drop dead, this is it, there's nothing else. That's a lie from the pit of hell. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. The guards, these battle-hardened guards, shook for fear of him. They feared him, and they became like dead men. Think about that. Here's some facts to consider regarding this resurrection, church. <clears throat> The resurrection was totally unexpected by those who were the first to see the Lord. These men were true skeptics. They weren't gullible men. Once they had saw the risen Lord, they were totally convinced. 
So here in these first four verses, we have our very first evidence of Christ's resurrection. And I want us to all understand this morning that this was no ordinary man who rose from the dead. This was the monogan ace. Anybody ever heard the word unique? Think about what comes to your mind when you think about the word unique. Hey, that's unique. It's one of a kind. See, there's no one else like Christ. He was the Son of God. This is the Jesus who claimed to be the Son of God. And, of course, this is why the religious leaders wanted to put him to death. This is the Jesus who was sinless and died on behalf of those who were sinners. And when you get time, you know, read John 8, verses 31 through 59. So now here in Matthew's gospel, what do we have? We have the angel and we have Jesus himself. Jesus arose on the third day after his death, after his death, just as he said he would. He was buried in the evening of the sixth day. He arose the morning of the first day of the week. Notice the text speaks of an earthquake. Remember when he died, the earth shook, slide 12, Matthew 27, 51? When he gave up his spirit, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This wasn't like a real thin curtain, by the way. This thing was heavy. It was split in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks were split. Here we see again the earth shook again at his resurrection. Church, it was a signal of Christ's victory over death. And in verse 2, we see the angel of the Lord has descended from heaven to roll away the stone. Isn't it interesting to note that an angel took care of the Lord at his birth? An angel of the Lord also attended to the Lord after he was tempted by Satan. And here again, an angel not only rolled away the stone, but he sat upon it. What's significant about this? Jesus could have evaporated the stone. He could have easily rolled the stone back. But he chose to have an angel do it. Why? I don't think Jesus tried to break prison. You see, our Lord deserved a fair and legal discharge, didn't he, church? Keep in mind that he was delivered to death because of our sin. He, as our kinsman redeemer, was the one who has now completed our deliverance. Church, the debt has now been paid in full. So the angel was commissioned to roll the stone back. Our kinsman redeemer, who is Christ, paid the debt on our behalf. So our relationship with God the Father can now be restored. See, the angel sitting on the stone demonstrated a secure triumph over all the obstructions of Christ's resurrection. And then verse 3 speaks of the angel's appearance. Notice it says that his appearance was like lightning. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. The Greek word used there is the word astrape, which has the idea of this brilliant, bright, shining. He describes for us that his clothing was as white as snow. Of course, angels are often represented as those who are clothed in white. And white among the Jews of that day was a sign of purity, a sign of innocence. So here you and I are given this little peek at this visible representation of the glory of the now invisible world. Isn't that amazing what it's going to be like in glory? If you are born again and you've surrendered your life to Christ, it's going to be something that is incomprehensible for you and I to think about. And in fact, slide 13, Matthew 17, 2, also says he was transfigured before them. 
His face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Christ's garments became as white as light on the Mount of Transfiguration. As we move on to verse 4, we see something else now. So we see all of this going on. But what about those guards that were standing there? What about these battle-hardened guards? What about the stone that had the seal on it after it was rolled in there? Yeah, we're talking about a heavy stone. We're not talking about a pebble church. Think about it. They shook for fear of him. They became like dead men. You know, it's interesting to note that the same root word for earthquake, that's where we get our word you know, seismos. You've heard of seismic activity. The earthquake scientists say, you know, they have a machine, a seismologist looks at it. The, the idea of that is the idea of a, of a shaking, this, uh, this seismos, the, the root of the same word. They were shaking and quivering like there was an earthquake going on inside of them. Just absolute, complete, crippling fear. It's very interesting to point that out here. These powerful, battle-hardened, well-trained soldiers thought of themselves as fearless men like our Navy SEALs of the day. And just like the men who beat on Jesus, they thought they were fearless. These men were placed there to keep a dead man in his grave, which obviously should have been a very easy task, right? But it proved to be way too hard for them. One look at God's angel and they became literally like, they, like dead men. Look at slide 14, 5 through 8, Matthew 28. So the angel speaks to the woman, says to the woman, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Underline that in your Bibles. When you're struggling and you think that you've come to the end of yourself, you know, you can go to where a lot of the prophets were buried, whether it's Muhammad or Charles Taze Russell or, you know, Joseph Smith. The one thing that you have is the empty tomb. Remember that. He's not here. He's risen. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly. Tell his disciples that he has risen from the head from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. They left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. I want you to notice a contrast here this morning. The unbelieving soldiers shook with fear as dead men. They were terrified when they saw the angel. Notice, though, the woman... They didn't leave there with fear. They left there with awe. The word, it's the kind of fear you're in awe at the majesty. That kind of fear and joy. Their, their fear wasn't the terror that the soldiers felt. You see, church, listen to me this morning. If you truly belong to Christ, you do not need to be terrified by him. Notice what the angel said to the woman. Slide 15. Do not be afraid. Ladies, I know that you're looking for Jesus who's been crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he told us. Church, this should bring every born-again believer comfort this morning. The angel says, come look, look where he was laying. Compare, compare what Jesus told you with what you now see with your own eyes. 
The angel then gives exciting instructions in verse 7. Slide 16. Go quickly. Tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I've told you. Ladies, go tell the others that our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, he's risen from the dead. You see, church, don't be misled. Jesus knows who his true disciples are, and he knows where they are at every moment of every second of every day. The angel has now faithfully delivered the message. Slide 17. The question for all of us this morning is, who have you told? Have you shared this good news with anyone this week? Has the Lord placed it on your heart to share this message with someone else this week? Don't be misled. We don't have a whole lot of time left. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. Go home and read Matthew 24 and compare what you see going on in the world today. Slide 18 and 19. Matthew 28, 9 and 10. Jesus met them and greeted them. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go take my word to my brethren and leave for Galilee. There you're going to see me. We see here in verse 9 this awesome love and respect these women had for Jesus. The question is, do we share that same love, respect with our Lord and Savior that they had? They held him by his feet, which was a sign of worship and respect. Jesus says, don't be afraid. He then gives them further instructions. Go, go take word to my brothers to leave for Galilee. They're, they're going to see me there. The women were instructed to announce the good news to the brethren. Hey, you guys, you're going to see Jesus again. And by the way, if you're in Christ when you die, you're going to see him. He's not the babe in the manger. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. You see, the woman went to deliver the good news. But here's something else. In verse 11 through 15, we just see the soldiers delivering a very different message. This is verse 11 through 15, slides 20 and 21. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, this is what you got to say. You got to say, his disciples came by night, stole him while they were asleep. Yeah, these, 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 these guys rolled a half-ton stone out of the ground in a ditch. The soldiers never woke up and they stole him. Right, okay, uh-huh, yeah. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and we're going to keep you out of trouble. What did they do, church? Think about it. We have people today say, well, if, I, if he shows himself to me, then I'll believe. If I see him, then I'll believe. Now, I want you to think about it. These guys saw an angel. They saw the resurrected Christ. They saw all this happen. 
and still chose a different path, didn't they? They took the money, they did what they were instructed to do, and the story is widely spread among the Jews to this day. <clears throat> so church, we need to mention here that the tomb wasn't open to let the Lord out. It was really open to let the disciples in so they could see firsthand that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Verse 11 through 15, we have the eyewitness accounts of the soldiers guarding the tomb. They were eyewitnesses to the glorious resurrection of Christ from the dead, even while they were the enemy set there to obstruct it. From this tomb, we have these two messages that have come forth from this gravesite. One message is of joy to the followers of Christ. The other is shame to the chief priest. You can just imagine what it must have been like to hear this message coming from these battle-hardened, powerful soldiers who were clearly shaken to the core. But instead of repenting of their sin and confessing their sin, even after witnessing all of this, they decided to plunge themselves into further sin. They rejected the truth just like so many people today reject the truth. It was a shameful, wicked thing that these chief priests did. Even with the eyewitness accounts of the soldiers, they still didn't want anything to do with Christ. The question this morning is, where do you stand today? Look at uh, slide 22, John 5, 28 and 29. What does Jesus say here? Jesus, don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Now look at verse 29, church. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Here's one thing to understand. The moment every human being drops dead, there's two destinations. One is with the Lord in glory. The other one is burning in hell for all eternity. Scriptures are clear. Don't take my word for it. Read it yourself. Those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I want to ask you this morning, do you sense the Lord speaking to your heart this morning? Hear me. We have learned that the Father has fulfilled His promise by sending His only unique Son to die on that Roman cross for our sin. Every sin that you and I have committed in thoughts, words, deeds, actions, motives of our hearts against God's holiness, we all deserve wrath. And this wrath that we all deserve was only satisfied when it was poured out on Christ on our behalf. His blood that was spilled for us. This Jesus was revealed as the long-awaited Messiah. Think about it. The week before, he was riding in on a donkey. By that Friday, he was being prosecuted. He was the one who was promised in the Old Testament to reign over the kingdom of heaven forever. At God's appointed time, church, Christ came into the world to seek and save those who were lost and the, who the Father had given to him. The scriptures are clear that Jesus shed his blood and gave his life for us. So those who belong to Christ hear and believe the gospel because they are irresistibly drawn to him by God the Holy Spirit. 
Hear me this morning. Are you being drawn to him this morning? The word of God is clear that God is sovereign over all the creation. He is the creator. He is the ruler. He is the sustainer of all that is. He controls all events. And this was his plan from all eternity past for his glory. Side 23. What did John say in John 15, 16? You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I want to share something from one of my very favorite authors, Steve Lawson. Slide 24 and 25. Steve Lawson is um, an incredible pastor and theologian. This is what he said. That what should be at the center of every person's life is the glory of God and the promotion of his glory. Let me say that again. That what should be at the center of every person's life is the glory of God and the promotion of his glory. Lawson goes on to say this. This is what is primary in the salvation of every lost sinner, the revealing of the glory of God so that sinners may rejoice in the glory of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit work together. One Savior, indivisibly united in rescuing radically corrupt sinners before time began. That's us. God the Father chose a people for himself to be worshipers of his glory by becoming the objects of his grace. If you're born again, that's you. As an expression of his infinite love for his son, Jesus Christ, The Father gave his elect to Christ as a love gift. That's the bride, the church. A people who would praise him forever and ever. The Father commissions the Son to come into the world in order to redeem these chosen ones through his sacrificial death. The Son gave up his life for his bride. Husbands, how about you? The Father, along with the Son, sent the Holy Spirit into the world to apply the saving work of the Son to this group of elect sinners. Do we now understand the Eugalion, the gospel? Church, Jesus Christ is the perfect, sinless, unique Son of God that has lived with the Father from all eternity past. He is the Lagos. That became flesh, John 1, 14. On that cross, the sins of everyone who would believe in him were placed on him. The worst about me and the worst about you was placed on Christ, and the best about him was placed on me and placed on you. As his blood was being spilled out on that cross... He was reconciling sinful man to holy God. So you hear me this morning. While you still have breath in your life and you still have time, there is no other way for you and I 
to be made right with the Father except through the shedding of the blood on that cross at Calvary. There's nothing that's going to make you right with God except the crimson blood that was spilled. His death was what satisfied the righteous anger of his Father and appeased his wrath towards all who would believe in Christ. Is that you? Those who are in Christ Jesus are no longer condemned. That's Romans 8.1. So then, being made right with God, we now have peace with him through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear me this morning. To call upon Christ is for every one of us to look away from self. We look away from religion. We look away from church attendance or some denomination or church membership or being baptized and all of our good works. And we look to Christ. Slide 26. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Let me ask you this morning, you and you listening around the world right now, are you lost? Ask yourself this. Are you lost? If you were to drop dead this afternoon, do you know where you would be going? Are you willing to come clean with Yahweh and confess to him what kind of sinner you really are? Are you willing to do that? In slide 27, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if we come clean with God, and we confess our sins. He, that's God, is faithful. He is righteous to forgive us of our sins and to continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me ask you this morning, this resurrection morning that we're celebrating. You don't know if today's going to be your last day. Are you willing to come clean with him and confess your sin to him well, you still have breath because it's appointed once for a person to die and then the judgment. Make no mistake, you're not getting a second chance. When you drop dead here, it's over. You're going to either to heaven or hell. That's it. There's no secondary place where you go where you get to say, can I do it over again like we were kids and we would knock the ball out of bounds. Do over, do over. There's no do over here. Romans 3.23, slide 28. And this... As all of us, we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. So remember this morning, this salvation he offers to you, church, listen, it's a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. In Romans 3.24, you are justified. That means you are declared right as a gift by his grace. Justification is the act where God declares you right, positionally. You are justified, and it's a gift. God is giving you this gift. Are you hearing me this morning? This gift is given by His grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is showing love and kindness to somebody without anything in Him to make them worth having to show them grace and kindness. So you've been made right, it's a gift. It was done by the grace through the redemption, through the shed blood, which is in Christ Jesus. Do we understand that? If you're justified, you're made right with the Father. You're declared right, church. It's a legal term. 
This doesn't mean that we are made righteous, but it matter means we are declared. It's a positional thing. Hear me, this being declared right, listen, is an act of God's free grace upon you and I. Listen, he pardons our sins and he accepts us as right in his sight. It's not a result of something we could ever do on our own. When we say being justified, we are declared right the very moment we come to saving faith in Christ. And there's nothing in you or me that's worthy of it. All you can do is call out to him and ask him to save you. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But see, here's the thing. It's not lip service to God to say that. You see, the idea of confession isn't just saying the same thing about sin that God says, but listen, there's this turning away from living for self and living for the world and turning to Christ. Bow your heads this morning. If today is going to be your last day alive, what are you going to do differently today than any other day that you've lived? I want you to think clearly this morning. This is important. I'm telling you, we really, I could be wrong. We, it doesn't seem like we have a whole lot of time left. The world is spiraling out of control. You don't have to be a professional rocket science or engineer to figure that out. If you were to die today and you were to stand before a holy God and he was to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? There can only be one answer to that question and I've given that to you. And that answer is because, Jesus, you shed your blood on that cross to wash away all the filth in my life and my sin debt. Because the worst about me was placed on you and the best about you was placed on me. I'm encouraging this morning, now is the time. Now is the time to get right with God. You may not have a second chance. There's a lot of people that died yesterday that didn't realize they were going to die yesterday. You don't know when you're going to draw your last breath. Now is the time. Now is the time to get right with God. Now is the time to say, Lord, take the worst about me and put it on you and take the best about you and place it on me. Now is the time. Are you hearing me this morning? You around the world, are you hearing me? And Father, I pray for each person here this morning. Lord, you're the one that wakens and quickens us, makes us alive so when we hear the gospel, we can repent and believe and turn to you. I pray if there's any here, those listening about around the world right now with us, that today could be the day where they surrender their life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you.